which was a revival that happened in California from 1906 to 1908. Um, a small church there was uh, praying for revival, and this prayer was answered in amazing ways. People were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues. This was one of the primary marks of the revival, but it was also manifested in lots of other ways. One of those other ways, most important ways, was um, that the segregation that was not only typical but standard for that time was erased during the Azusa Street Revival. Uh, people of all different races and ethnicities were involved and were worshiping together. The second mark of the Azusa Street Revival was an incredible movement towards missions, and the gift of tongues facilitated that. It wasn't just angelic tongues, it was, it was real human languages tongues. Um, and so many, many people flocked to the Azusa Street Revival um, to be equipped by the Holy Spirit and then go out into the world um, in order to spread the gospel. And so from the Azusa Street Revival, we see that uh, the true presence of the Holy Spirit always brings at least two things. Real unity based on the presence of God, not on, um, not on some worldly standard that doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. And secondly, real obedience, uh, that when the Holy Spirit shows up, um, people are equipped to do what God has called them to do, and they go out and do it. And that's the Azusa Street Revival. The first scripture reading is from Luke 24, 48 to 49. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The second reading is from John 20, 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You know, every year on New Year's Day, there's a parade. Some of you might know about this one. It's in Pasadena, California, called the, the Tournament of Roses Parade. Eric knows about it, Californian. And, of course, this parade's like normal parades, right? There's lots of flowers, and there's floats, and there's, you know, big anticipation for the football games, the, the Rose Bowl football games later that day. And one, one time, this parade had kind of an unusual, ironic thing happen, and that one of the floats, this big, beautiful float, just sputtered and came to a stop. And so the whole parade was put on hold, like nobody can move forward. This big float's blocking the way, and they're trying to figure out what was wrong with it, and they discovered, lo and behold, it was just out of gas. Now, the ironic thing about that is that all these floats are sponsored by different companies. Well, guess who sponsored this particular float? Standard Oil Company, major producer of gasoline. What do you not want to have happen when you're a gasoline company? You want your float to run out of gas. And I thought this is kind of an interesting, ironic story that sort of describes the church at times, right? I mean, we, don't we have just 
unparalleled access to power and fuel in the Holy Spirit, and yet oftentimes we run out of gas because we just don't ever tap into the source. We don't tap into the Holy Spirit. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, without the, the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. I think that's well said. Of course, we're in a series right now called Risen Vision during this Easter season. Easter isn't just a day in the church, but it's a season of weeks after Easter. The day of Easter kicks it off, and we're in this Easter season looking at the words of Jesus to his disciples after he rose from the grave. And of course, he gave them these words after he had risen from the grave, um, not just as instructions like, okay, here's what you're going to be doing now, but he wanted to give them vision for their new lives. And a big piece of that vision, really all that vision for their new lives, was hinging on what he says right in these passages here. Receive the Holy Spirit. Like nothing that he told them to do would have been possible without this very important piece. So that's what we're looking at today. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, before I get to talking about how we're to receive the Holy Spirit as a church moving into the future that God has for us, I want to address some of you who might be a little bit uncomfortable with this topic of the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe if you've, um, you know, obviously if you've been in Life Church for a while, I hope you're excited to talk about the Holy Spirit. I hope this is like normal for you. But maybe you grew up in a denomination that did not talk about the Holy Spirit, or you talked about those Holy Spirit people as those weird chandelier swinging people. Or maybe you're like, you know, you're not a Christian at all, and you're like, I. I've never heard of the Holy Spirit. The Holy who? You know, this is kind of a weird, it's a weird topic, right? Um, I want to say just a couple of things to you all who are, are just a bit uneasy about this. First of all, know that you are safe. I am not going to manipulate you. If something happens in you by the Holy Spirit, you will know that it's the Holy Spirit and not me, okay? So you're safe here today. But secondly, I want to say that the Holy Spirit is not weird, the Holy Spirit is not weird. Um, I think the Holy Spirit falsely gets a bad rap for being the weird member of the Trinity. You know, kind of the drunk member of the Trinity. You know, where you, you ever have a friend or a relative and you go to a party or a wedding and they drink too much and then they start embarrassing themselves and they say things they shouldn't say and you're just like, ah, oh, look out for them, that, you know, that weird uncle or whatever. That's kind of how I feel like people approach the Holy Spirit. Like, watch out for that member of the Trinity. There's something weird's about to happen right? And, and that's, the Holy Spirit is not weird at all. Certainly, he might do some things that we can't always perfectly explain. Um, certainly, he has power that goes far beyond uh, our imagination, but he's not weird. And how do I know that? Well, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the most Holy Spirit-filled person ever, right? Now, was Jesus weird? No, Jesus was not weird. Um, he was amazing. He was incredible. He was certainly different, but he wasn't weird. Kids loved him. Kids love him. And kids don't love weird people. They're scared about weird people. They can pick up on weirdness right away. Kids ran to Jesus and loved him. So the Holy Spirit is not weird. Okay. And third and finally, I think it's important for us to, to just address this up front. Yes, the Holy Spirit is often misrepresented, and even the Holy Spirit's name and power is sometimes abused. Because the gifts and the power the Holy Spirit gives to the church, there are obviously going to be abuses of it, right? That's always what happens with power 
Anytime you have a source of power, it can be misused and it can be abused. And um, we see this from the very beginning in the book of Acts. Remember the story of Simon the magician? Simon saw the, the apostles praying over people and giving the people the Holy Spirit. And right away he comes up to him and he offers them money. Verse 19 Acts chapter 8 says, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, Peter says, your silver perish with you, Simon, that you thought you could buy the gift of God with your money. Like, you can't do that. But he obviously wanted to buy it because it was going to give him power. I think misuses of the Holy Spirit happen for both good motives and bad motives. I think most of the time they're, they're innocently done, these, these mistakes with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you one funny story, and then I promise I'm going to breathe life, but those of you who have Holy Spirit baggage like I do, if you grew up in a charismatic church, you're going to end up with some sort of Holy Spirit baggage where you have to kind of get over so that you can actually receive the real Holy Spirit. And this is when I was really new to... Um, you know, understanding and experiencing the Holy Spirit at all. I was hungry. I was a college sophomore. I wanted any experience I could get with the Holy Spirit because I had just started to experience the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I'll take anything. If you've got any amount of the Holy Spirit, I want it. I want any experience, anything possible. And I heard about this prayer house with this older lady who was famous for praying over people and praying for the Holy Spirit to, to fall on them. And so I went there with my brother and um, we were going to get prayed over. And I was super excited about it. And so she starts praying over me, and a little while into the prayer, you know, my eyes are closed, she just pushes me right in the head, and I kind of stumbled backwards. And I'm like, man, that's weird. I've never been pushed when I was praying. And I, I couldn't figure it out, and so now my mind's not on the prayer at all, but I kind of just stand there again, and not long afterwards, she pushes me again, and I kind of stumble backwards again. And then I think, oh, I've heard of this. Like, this is what people, like, fall over and get slain in the Spirit, and she's going to keep doing this until I fall over. And so the third time I was ready, I wasn't listening to the prayer at all, but the third time she pushes me and I just fall over. And my brother was totally mortified. He's like, what happened to you? Like, are you okay, man? Like, did you, did something actually happen? I was like, no, she was just going to keep pushing me until I fell over. (laughs) Maybe you have some baggage like that too. Here's the thing, friends. The Holy Spirit is more than capable of knocking you over if he wants to do it. If he wants to do it, you will not be able to stand. So you don't need to push anybody if you're praying for them, all right? I think that's just a bunch of goofiness that causes a lot of people to be weirded out by the Holy Spirit. And here's the other thing. As people try to minister in the power of the Spirit, sometimes with with even the best of motives, you're going to get some weirdness. So my, my encouragement to you is, yes, there have been abuses. Yes, there have been misuses. But can we take a fresh start today looking at the, the Holy Spirit? And can we not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Right? There's going to be some, as people try to, to um, wrangle this, this amazing gift that we call the Holy Spirit, there's going to be some, some strange stuff that happens, and you have to kind of sort through that. But you can do that in the context of your church community, in life, and you can even have a good laugh at the, the strange things that sometimes people will do. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So that's my encouragement today. Um, those are kind of my, my couple of things I wanted to say before we get into it. Now, as we study these two texts, I want us to, I want us to pick up on three ways in which we receive the Holy Spirit, because that's the command, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. That's the big important thing for today. But how? We're going to look at three ways in which we receive the Holy Spirit. And first and foremost, we receive the Holy Spirit personally. Personally, look at the Luke passage, Luke 24, verse 49. 
Jesus says, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And boy, does that sound exciting, right? Until you're clothed with power. You ever notice this? Humans absolutely love power. Power is intoxicating. As I already mentioned, it's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit's often abused and misrepresented. But here's the deal. As we talk about our vision to be a church that's powered, fueled by the Holy Spirit, we have to be really careful that we mention the Holy Spirit is an actual person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not, may the force be with you. I know we did that this past week. Um, It's not an energy. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And if we start approaching the Holy Spirit as a force or as an energy or some, some sort of cosmic thing like that, it, it, will, it will get us off track quickly. And our view of God, our relationship with God will be greatly impoverished if we just look at him as a source of power and not an actual person. We don't have time to go into all the roles of the Holy Spirit today, but it's really important that we think of him correctly. And to do that, we need to think of him personally. After all, the scriptures remind us constantly of the person of the Holy Spirit. Acts 7.51 says the Holy Spirit can be resisted. You can't resist a force, right? It's just there. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. Acts 13 and so many other places, the Holy Spirit speaks very, very specific things to God's people. Ephesians 4.30, the Holy Spirit can be grieved and has emotions, Until you understand the Holy Spirit, not just as some cosmic force or energy, but as a real person, as the third member of the Trinity, your relationship with God, you'll never receive the wisdom and the love and the joy that you're meant to have with God. See, because you can't have a relationship with a force. You can't really get to know an energy, but you can get to know a person, and that person's name is the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, I wish the Holy Spirit had a different name. Can we just all be honest about that? Holy Spirit is a very confusing name. And Holy Ghost is worse. We sang about the Holy Ghost today. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, no wonder why. I I, I meet a lot of people. They're fine connecting with God as Father. That works for them. Unless you have a really bad relationship with your dad, then that doesn't work at all. Um, Most of us love talking about the God-man Jesus because we see him in human form. It's easy for us to connect with that. But then the Holy Spirit, ah, We're a little leery of that member of the Trinity, right? Of course, it's not easy to understand. There's nothing about God being triune that's easy to understand. But as Christians, we confess that our God is one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so a failure to approach him personally is to reject everything that we believe at the core, right? And it's a great impoverishment for us to not do that. So let's talk, let's talk practically for a second. What does this mean for you to receive the Holy Spirit personally? How does this actually affect your life? Does it make any difference? Well, I'm going to argue that it makes all the difference in the world that you approach the Holy Spirit personally. I know we're talking about power today, but not, not just as a non-personable, non-personable power. This is a real person who is empowering the church. Um, so think about it. How does it affect your prayer life, your conversation with God, to think of the Holy Spirit as a real person? Not somebody who's a million miles away, not even like Jesus walking beside you, but someone who's dwelling in you. 
He's, he's as close to you as he can possibly be, and he's a real person. How does that affect your conversation with God? How does that affect the, the difficult situations and challenges that you face? You know, the situations where you say, I just don't have the wisdom for this particular situation. And have you ever had that? I have those situations almost every week now, and it's super frustrating. But I've realized it's probably because the Holy Spirit says, hey, I'm right here. He's the wisest counselor in the world, always on call for you, always right there for you, always present. I mean, this is one of the reasons why Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, it's better for you that I go so that the helper will come, the Holy Spirit. It's hard to imagine it being better on earth without a physical Jesus here in the flesh. But he said it's true because the Holy Spirit's in each one of us, ever-present personal counselor with us. I'm wondering, how does it change your sorrows? Knowing that the person of the Holy Spirit is with you through it, that he's with you in your grief, that he gets it, that he understands. More than any close friend or relative ever could be there for you, the Holy Spirit is there for you. He's with you. He feels it with you. He understands it with you. He knows you even better than you know yourself. How does it change your battle with sin? Knowing that the Holy Spirit is a real person. You know, for sure, this is one of the things that restrains us from sinful behavior is just knowing the consequences and how much it's going to hurt the people around us, right? How, you know, you don't want to hurt your spouse. You don't want to hurt your kids. You don't want to hurt your friends. And so you resist certain sin temptations because of those things. Well, what about hurting the heart of the Holy Spirit? Does that have any impact on you? Because if you treat him just as a force, as just an energy source, it will never impact, but you will really start to get free from sin when you have a close, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit and where you say, I just, I don't want to hurt him. I love him. That's when you really start to get free from sin. When you know sin doesn't just break God's law, it breaks his heart. That's when you'll really start to find freedom. R.A. Torrey says this. I love this. He says, oftentimes when some evil thought is suggested to me by the enemy, the thought comes I cannot entertain that thought for a moment. If I do, the Holy Spirit who sees it will be deeply grieved, and I cannot bear to grieve this ever-present faithful friend. An ever-present faithful friend. Is that the way you think about the Holy Spirit? As an ever-present faithful friend? That'll help you in so many different ways. As much as we need his power, and that's what we're talking about today, we first need him as a person. Literally everything hinges on receiving him as a person. It makes all the difference in the world. So first of all, we receive the Holy Spirit personally. But secondly, we receive him humbly. Have you ever tried to do something really hard with the wrong equipment? It's pretty frustrating, isn't it? You know, one time when Ginny and I were first married, we went out fishing. So I talked her into going out fishing. And um, I had this little boat that was lent to me for the first year of our marriage. It was this tiny little boat, and I had a Buick Park Avenue. Anybody have a Buick Park Avenue or something like it? So I was the only 23-year-old driving a Buick Park Avenue in the world, and I was the only person in the world driving a Buick Park Avenue with a tow hitch on it, pulling a boat, all right? Because that's the car I had, and, and it pulled my boat. So I was like, well, I'm gonna, I can't remember how I got a ball hitch on it, but I did. 
And so we were going out fishing this day, and it was a brutal wind out of the west, and the lake that we were going to had the boat ramp on the east. So I said, no, we can't launch there. It'll swamp my little boat. So we have to go around to the west side, and I know there's a beach there. I'm just going to dump it in off the beach. And, of course, I'm thinking about where we want to fish. I'm not really thinking about anything else. And I'm in a hurry, as I always am when I'm going fishing. So I just back it up, dump it off the beach, and we go fishing. And I come back, and I realize my car is in sand. I got a very, very heavy two-wheel drive, Buick Park Avenue, and we were stuck as stuck could be. There was no getting, I worked for hours trying to get traction under those tires to pull that boat out of there. There was nothing happening. At three in the morning, my brother finally came from college, thank you, Dan, still owe you for that, with his friend's truck and pulled my stupid butt out of the beach. And, and there we were. But here's the thing, if I would have had a four-wheel drive, no problem. That would have been totally easy, totally fine. But I didn't. I had a Buick Park Avenue, so I was going nowhere. And that's the way it is with the work of a Christian as it pertains to the Holy Spirit as well. Our task is impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's like having a Buick Park Avenue stuck in the sand. You're going nowhere. But with the Holy Spirit, it's very, very doable. And notice the task that Jesus gives them here in John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And we have to ask ourselves, what? What did Jesus just say? You know, the disciples had to be stunned by this. So like, okay, let me get this straight. The same job that God gave you, you're now giving to us? This, the guys that ran away from him on the night of his crucifixion, the night before he was crucified? Like, this sounds like a horrible decision, Jesus. I wouldn't do this if I were you. I mean, after all, you're the one who has walked on water. You're the one who has fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunchable. You're the one who has healed the sick and raised the dead. We didn't do any of that stuff. We, how are we supposed to be sent out as you were sent out? Seems like an impossible task. Notice also that Jesus tells them, if they forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if they withhold the sins of any, they're withheld. He's giving them the very work of God, you understand. The work of reconciling people to God, granting them forgiveness. God's not saying you and your, you alone have power to do that. He's like, I'm going to forgive people through you. That's what he's doing here. Nothing short of it. And so how is this a fair ask of Jesus to say, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you? He knows they can't do this. He knows how helpless they are. It's impossible. It's like having a Buick Park Avenue stuck on the beach. They're going nowhere. Yes, but that's why Jesus says what he says, to wait, to begin their impossible task until they're clothed with power from on high. This is the humility we have to have, friends. This is why we receive the Holy Spirit humbly. It's rightly estimating our own feebleness apart from the Holy Spirit, and this is in fact the vision for Life Church, that we would be really ultra self-clear about this, that we are weak and broken and sinful and can do nothing in our own strength. But with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing we can't do. There's absolutely nothing that we can't do. And so every week we want to receive the Holy Spirit humbly and, and to ask him, Lord, we can't do anything apart from you. Would you come and do your work through us again? This is why Life Church prays so much. It's not because we're awesome at prayer so much. It's because we know how little we can do in our own strength. Prayer is an act of humility. It says, God, would you come and do this thing through us? Because we can't do it. We must have the Holy Spirit.
I love how Corey Ten Boom talks about this. Uh, she's one of your great uh, grandmothers in the faith, Dutch lady who lived through the Holocaust and went on to talk a lot about her experiences, but she actually talked a lot about being filled with the Spirit. And she's like one of the least flaky people ever, by the way. All right, not flaky at all, but really pushed being filled with the Spirit. She says this, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious work of all. Have you ever felt that? The Lord's work in your own strength, not good, not fun. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows right out of you. Isn't that true? She goes on to say, God's boundless resources are what we find when we obey the commandment, be filled with the Spirit. This is not a suggestion. The Bible has no suggestions, only commandments. And this is the most happy commandment of the whole Bible. When the Lord has told us to witness and make disciples over the whole world, he promised you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't you just love that? The most happy commandment of the whole Bible is what Jesus says to us right here. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's for your own good. It's the only way you're going anywhere. And I love the, the metaphor that she uses. She says this, Corrie ten Boom again. She says, to me, a little story of a bird, a woodpecker, has helped me in understanding this. A woodpecker pecked the trunk of a tree like they do. At that very moment, lightning struck the tree and destroyed it. And the woodpecker flew away saying, I didn't know there was that much power in my beak. That's what we're like, friends. We're like those woodpeckers doing the feeble little things that we can do with our feeble little beaks. But look out, when the lightning of the Spirit strikes, anything can happen. And then we fly away going, I didn't know there was that much power in my beak. I'm wondering this morning, what does it look like for Life Church to be a church that acknowledges our weakness apart from the power of the indwelling Spirit? And that we actually build our vision on that idea. You know, like Nathan preached at the beginning of this series, it's easy for a church to build a vision that they can do in their own strength. It's actually a huge temptation to say, let's set out to do something that we know we can do in our own strength. It takes no risk. It takes no courage. There's no fear of failure in that, right? Because it's like, I think we can manage that. But it's the worst kind of vision possible because it cuts the Holy Spirit entirely out of the equation. We don't need him, right? So as we're setting out a vision, we're saying, no, we want to build a vision on our helplessness and the Holy Spirit's magnificent power to do something that we could never do in our own strength. I think that's where God wants his church. It requires humility right off the bat. I love how John Wesley puts this in his letter from his deathbed to William Wilberforce. William was the one fighting against slavery in England. He says this, unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. I believe that's what he would say to Life Church as well. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. If God be for you, who can be against you, Life Church? So we receive the Spirit personally. We receive the Spirit humbly. And finally, thirdly, we receive the Holy Spirit eagerly. In verse 22, we read, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, 
but I can't read this passage anymore without thinking about our Easter kids pageant. You know what I'm talking about? Where the Jesus character, the, the narrator says this, and the Jesus character goes, <sighs> and breathes on all the rest of the people there. And, and maybe that's how this happened, but maybe, you know, probably not. Uh, the big idea here is there's the Greek word here for breathed on them is emphaseo. And this word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it is used in the Old Testament Greek translation, which we call the Septuagint. And guess where it's used? In Genesis, where God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. So it was in that first emphaseo that God was creating the first humans. But of course, we know how the story went. They fell. They broke. They ran away from God. They rebelled. And now Jesus is breathing on the disciples to give them the Holy Spirit, who is making them into a new creation again. New people filled with God's Spirit who will walk in his ways and do his work, carry out his work in the world. John's highlighted this idea over and over again in his gospel. Remember how John starts his gospel? He starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's paralleling these two creation accounts. There's the first creation with Adam and Eve, and now there's the new creation with Jesus giving them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the person who creates in us, who, who makes us into a new creation. And that's why we receive him eagerly. Like, we can't wait for this to happen. We're like, yes, I want to be the person that God intended for me to be. Don't you? Don't you long for that? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So as Christians, we eagerly desire the Holy Spirit to come and do this work of new creation in us. And here's a vision statement that I've kind of adopted for my life. It's the C.S. Lewis quote that I can't shake, but it gets at this idea of what God is making us into and what I desperately want to become. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He, meaning the Holy Spirit, will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. How about that as a vision for your life? Wow, the kind of person that the Holy Spirit wants to make you into is absolutely stunning. So the Holy Spirit makes us into these new creatures, new people, but along with that, we see the Holy Spirit bestows his gifts upon us so that we can carry out his work in the world. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, we're told, pursue love and earnestly or eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So to receive the Holy Spirit eagerly is to welcome and receive the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. And here at Life Church, we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are active and living and available to all of us today, that they're actually essential for the life and the mission, the growth of the church. So my question is for you today as we get ready to close, how are you eagerly receiving the Holy Spirit into your life? Are you looking forward to the person that God is making you to be and cooperating with the Holy Spirit in that effort? How are you eagerly receiving the gifts, earnestly desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit so you can be part of building up the body and advancing the mission of the church? Can you envision a church that is alive with the power of the Spirit, just working through every single member, 
I mean, that's what excites me about church um, is, is each one of us have the, pow- the greatest power in the whole universe, the, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us. What could God do with that? You imagine a whole church alive with the Holy Spirit, not just acknowledging the Holy Spirit, um, you know, like the Apostles' Creed does. I don't have many criticisms of the Apostles' Creed, but it's kind of weak on the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, period. <laughs> Moving right along, that's all it says. Um, we're not just acknowledging the Holy Spirit, but we're saying, look, we're celebrating the Holy Spirit. We're eagerly seeking the Holy Spirit, welcoming the Holy Spirit into our midst, into our prayer times, into all the work that he has us doing. And I think this message would be remiss if we didn't provide an opportunity for that. So I'm going to welcome Jack, who's back in the foyer, to come and to pray over us and to just invite the Holy Spirit. Jack's one of our elders. He's going to invite the Holy Spirit um, to come into Life Church as we seek him for our future, as we seek him for our vision. But I'm also aware that there might, there might be uh, some of you here today who are not Christians yet. And the first important work of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Jesus to you. Right? The Holy Spirit's super humble in this way in that he's always, always pointing to Jesus saying, do you see Jesus? Do you see how he died, how he rose again from the dead to conquer Satan's sin and death for you? If the Holy Spirit is illuminating, you to, illuminating your eyes to see Jesus as Lord today, please come and be prayed for. Become a Christian today. As, as you come to Jesus, Jesus will forgive you of your sins and he will give you his Holy Spirit to empower you to live as his disciple. But for now, for the rest of us today, let's pray again and receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, we just come to you today and Looking into your word, what you said to us, you said, which of you fathers, if, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It tells me right away, Jesus, that you want to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray this prayer that A.W. Tozer mentioned. He said, ask him to increase your desire for more of himself and more of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I think also of, of St. Augustine who, who prayed a prayer about the Holy Spirit saying, breathe into me, Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Move in me, Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Attract my heart, Holy Spirit, that I may love only what is holy. Strengthen me, Holy Spirit, that I may defend all that is holy. Protect me, Holy Spirit, that I may always be holy.